Uh, let's ask God to help us understand his word. Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that your word is sure and true and we pray in your mercy uh, that you would let the light of your word shine in our hearts uh, this morning. Help us to be those who hear and act on your truth and help me to speak your word truthfully and clearly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just making sure it worked before and it works again. Well, it will come up. Yep, great. So what do you need to know? Uh, what should you do when everything you have taken for granted, the foundational assumptions on which you have built your life are knocked away in a moment? What do you need to know then? And then where can you find a better foundation, a surer foundation on which to build your life? With the uttering of one doom-laden sentence, the city has been struck down, the exiles in Babylon, those to whom Ezekiel has prophesied for the last seven years, have to face the end of everything they've taken for granted and the destruction of their cherished hope. No king now of the line of David reigning in Jerusalem, David's dethroned descendant, rather a prisoner of the pagan Nebuchadnezzar. No temple, the footstool of the Lord that was meant to make the city inviolable, in ashes and sacrifice and worship ended. No city of Jerusalem, Zion, the city of God, now in ruins and their families dead or enslaved. No land, the land the Lord had promised their fathers, the land to which they longed to return, now lost to them. Where could they now find hope for release and return, for freedom and comfort, for their continuing existence as a people? It is hard to exaggerate the impact of that one sentence. What do the exiles need to know when all they have taken for granted is taken away? For some, this pandemic has also shaken the assumptions on which they've built their lives. You know those assumptions, you may have shared them. We're in control and can plan our lives and achieve what we desire and we will always enjoy freedom to go where we want, speak with whom we want, see our friends and family whenever we want. Oh, if we work hard, invest in our super, we will be okay. We'll be able to enjoy that long retirement we're, in, we're counting on entitled to. Oh, our government and health systems can keep us safe and prosperous and our prosperous life actually shows we're good and deserve it. What do we need to know when our foundational assumptions are challenged? in our case, by a virus that's removed our freedoms, destroyed the prosperity of many, threatened our health and our lives. In Ezekiel 33, we have what God thought the exiles needed to know when everything they'd taken for granted was taken away. It is one unit built around that sad declaration, the city has been struck down. 
It starts with reminders. God thinks that the exiles could withstand this shock if they remembered and believed what God had already said. And it ends with warnings about false responses to the news of God's judgment, responses that would only make the exile situation worse. And what God thought the exiles needed to know is actually what we need to know. If we're to live with a secure hope and an unshakable foundation for our lives when our world is shaken, and false hopes are destroyed. Whether that's by a pandemic or a drought or a financial crisis or loss or illness or death. Oh, and the warnings are warnings we also must heed. Now, Ezekiel starts with a story. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman. It's a familiar story of an appointment by a community of a watchman, someone who would stand in the watchtower at the city gate and warn of approaching enemies. Uh, Familiar to these people because their land was often subject to raiders and invaders And familiar also to us because we've already heard in chapter 3 of God's appointment of Ezekiel as a watchman. But here in 33, it's different. Uh, That message in chapter 3 came to Ezekiel alone. Here in 33, the message is for all. And in the initial telling of the story to the people, no one's named in verses 1 to 6. It's just the story of of the appointment of a generic watchman. It, It... makes the point that it is the watchman's responsibility to warn and the people's responsibility to heed that warning if they're to live. In fact, the people's responsibility is what is emphasised in verses 4 to 5. And notice verse 3, the story assumed that the Lord is sovereign if I bring the sword upon a land. But Ezekiel moves on from the generic watchman story to apply the story to himself and the people. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. The Lord who brings the sword is the Lord who's appointed Ezekiel watchman for the people of Israel. With his judgment, the Lord also, you see, provides a way of escape of saving their lives Ezekiel's responsibility to warn is stated, here entirely focused on warning the wicked. And in verse 9, the people's responsibility to act on the warning is repeated. But after seven years of solemn and forceful warnings, no one could doubt Ezekiel's faithfulness to his commission. He has warned the emphasis of this watchman story told here falls on the responses of the, the responsibility of the hearers to save their lives by acting on Ezekiel's warning. God, you see, gives his messengers for a purpose. But where but there is only benefit if people listen and act on what is said. So what do the people need to know? Well, they need to remember what they've been told, that God's in control, he executes his judgments and that he sends his messengers to turn them away from their sin and they can escape judgment if they will listen. But God has sent us someone better than Ezekiel. 
In these last days, the author of Hebrews says, he has spoken to us by his son, the Lord Jesus. God sends the gospel of his son into the world and he sends it with a purpose to warn us, as we read in Acts 17, that God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by his son Jesus. And of course, he doesn't just warn us, he calls us to turn back to him by believing that message, the gospel that Christ has died for our sins and has been raised and exalted as Lord with all authority. Gospel truth is what we need to know, to remember when our assumptions are shaken, for it is always true. We can have a sure foundation by acting on what the gospel says. But as we have seen in Ezekiel 18, Ezekiel was not sent into the world with only a message of coming judgment. He was sent to the exiles with a message of hope for those who would repent. And after years of hard-hearted rejection, it appears that they might now be ready to listen. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus have you said, surely our transgressions and sins are upon us and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? How then? Can we live? It's a haunting question. The people are in despair, overwhelmed with loss. They recognise their misery as a consequence of their sin and they can see no way out. But the Lord responds, Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? The Lord is for life. Israel doesn't need to stay in despair. He offers them life in place of their living death, rotting away in their sin. All they need to do is to turn back to the Lord, that is, to repent. They have to give up rebelling against him by choosing their own way rather than obeying his law and say that he is their king and they will live his way. To give life and hope is not too hard for the almighty God, no matter how hopeless our circumstances seem to us. And Ezekiel now repeats a large part of chapter 18 to bring home that our past and the present it is created for us need not imprison us. There is conditionality in God's judgments. Verse 12, And you, son of man, say to your people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses, and as for the wickedness of the wickedness, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness, and the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. Life is found and depends on keeping, and trusting, the, keeping on trusting the Lord and doing his will. But the focus here is not on the righteous, verse 13, who turns away from God to trust in himself. The focus falls, verses 14 to 16, on the Lord's mercy to the repentant. The wicked person who heeds God's announcement, you shall surely die, and turns back to the Lord. The repentant person puts her faith in the Lord and lives now as his person doing his will. She commits herself to the covenant and its standards of righteousness and justice, especially here in the economic sphere. 
refusing to enrich herself by wrongfully taking what is another's. The person who turns back will surely live, says the Lord. Now you'd think that this would be welcomed as good news by those languishing under the Lord's judgment on their sin. Yet they find fault with the Lord. Your people say the way of the Lord is not just when it is their own way that is not just. The way of the Lord is not just. The exiles still feel let down by God. They wanted the Lord to be holy for them. Their God who should be protecting them no matter what. (laughs) According to them, there should be no conditionality in the covenant. The Lord should just put up with, overlook their sinful behaviour. But the Lord says that they're the ones who are not just. They're the ones who have not measured up to the standard of their covenant with him, the standard of wholehearted commitment to the Lord. In judging sin, especially their idolatry, and pardoning the repentant he is just for he's doing exactly what he has said he would do in the covenant as we can see when we look at leviticus 26 and deuteronomy 30 he is just and he will judge them justly i will give to each one of you according to his ways i will judge each of you according to his ways the lord does not show partiality They have no privilege they can rely on when they turn their backs on him and sin. As their world is shaken, the exiles need to know that they can confess their wickedness and turn back to the Lord and find life, or they can keep on finding fault with God and face a just judgment. What will they do in their hopeless state? What will we do when we face hopelessness as a result of our own bad choices, our own false religion? Will we keep blaming God, saying God has no right to judge us, no right to humble us? Keep saying that, well, God should be just there for me to support me in my choices and give me a good life? Or will we confess our sin and turn back to God because we know God offers life to the humbled and repentant offers it now in the gospel of his son jesus which tells us jesus died for sinners died to bring us forgiveness you and i need not be held captive by our past rebellion need not die eternally but the lord offers life on his terms not ours repentance and faith in jesus where we turn back and confess we've been wrong to run our lives our own way and now live with jesus as lord trusting him and doing what he teaches listen to the god who does not delight in death but life and in all the turmoil find life well would the exiles believe ezekiel would they turn to the lord You see, they've been thinking of the Lord as some national deity, always bound to protect his people. Their defeat, the destruction of his temple, made them think that, well, he was a defeated God, less powerful than the gods of the Babylonians. Their wrong views of God actually set them up to make the wrong choice in their need, to think that the way forward was to go further away from the Lord, not to turn back to him. So the Lord in Ezekiel gives them proof of the truth of his word. 
In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been struck down. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the fugitive came and he had opened my mouth by the time the man came to me in the morning. So my mouth was opened and I was no longer mute. Here is a double vindication of the word the Lord had spoken through Ezekiel. Uh, What Ezekiel has prophesied persistently over seven years that Jerusalem would be judged for its sins and destroyed is proved true. Ezekiel had dated his prophecies. They were given before the 12th year, the 10th month, the 5th day of their exile. And it had now happened as Ezekiel had said it would. Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians. He had spoken the truth. And on the evening before the messenger arrives, the hand of the Lord was on Ezekiel. And by the morning of the messenger's arrival, he could speak again freely, just as the Lord had said would happen in Ezekiel 24. As the Lord had said, Ezekiel is now a living sign of the truthfulness, the reliability of the word of the Lord, and a sign that the Lord has more words to say, words which will soon become words of hope. So it had happened. The exiles needed to know that the Lord speaks the truth. For as they see the word of the Lord fulfilled, they know now that they have been wrong about the Lord. He is not some small national God. He is the God of the whole earth. The conquering Babylonians have been doing his will. What he says happens. And he is just, wholly righteous in what he does. Acting, as he said, in faithfulness to his covenant. And that meant that just as his warnings to them were true, so his promise of, the rep- of mercy to the repentant would also be true and sure. He really would give life. He really would forgive the wicked who repent. When their world was shaken, they needed to know the Lord's word was true so that they would turn back to him, not away from him. And as our world is shaken, we need to know the Lord's word is true so that we keep on turning to him abandoning wrong beliefs about God because there are lots of wrong beliefs around. You might know them. God's out of the picture, irrelevant, not interested in whether we live according to his law or not. Oh, that if he's real at all, he's there to look after us, to stop bad things happening to us. Or, oh, he's a God we can buy off with a little attention on the occasional Sunday or Christmas or Easter while we get on and live the life we want, pursuing wealth or pleasure or career satisfaction. All wrong beliefs. But the gospel word is a true word and the Lord has given us a better proof and a better sign of its truth. He's raised Jesus from the dead as Jesus said he would. He speaks the truth. And he gives his spirit to every believer in every age, every new birth, a continuing sign of the truthfulness of the gospel. And the death and resurrection of Jesus tells you God is not distant and uninvolved. He's not indifferent to sin, to people's rebellion. He is almighty. And it tells you he is for life. And he has sent the true word of the gospel into the world to offer life and hope 
to the despairing, those who found their false views of God empty. Now, how will the exiles react to the vindication in history in the fall of Babylon of Ezekiel's prophesying? How will they react to the demonstration of the truth of God's word and the certainty of his judgment? God warns us here of two false responses, two ways of making a bad situation worse. Firstly, there is the false confidence of the survivors seen in verses 23 to 29. God reveals to Ezekiel the reaction of those few who have been left in Israel, the inhabitants of these waste places in the land of Israel. They're saying Abraham was only one man, yet he got possession of the land, but we are many. The land is surely given us to possess. They're full of confidence. Hadn't they survived when so many had perished? That must mean that somehow they're better. (laughs) They're the favoured ones. And they will seize their opportunity. If Abraham alone could possess the land, well, together they certainly could. They make no reference to the Lord. They're confident in themselves that they can take what is only the Lord's to give while all the while living as people who despise the Lord. They're acting as if the Lord is out of the picture and so think they'll be spared judgment while all the time practicing those things that provoke judgment. Say to them, you eat the flesh the flesh with blood and lift up your eyes to your idols and shed blood. Shall you then possess the land? You rely on the sword, you commit abominations. Each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Shall you then possess the land? It's as if they think that the Lord has some suddenly grown tired or inattentive. And they are wrong. Thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the waste places shall fall by the sword. And whoever is in the open field, I'll give to the beast to be devoured. And those who are in the strongholds and in caves shall die by pestilence. You see, experiencing judgment doesn't spare you from further judgment if you continue unchanged, unrepentant. Sometimes those who suffer judgments think it gives them the right to be left alone that they've done their time and are now as it were free to be able to get on with their own lives continuing with the same sins that provoke the first judgment thinking like that means they have wasted their suffering if you drink and drive and crash and badly injure yourself why should you think that if you continue to drink and drive you won't crash again If you rebel against God, defy God, and it brings you into misery and you feel God against you, why do you think that will change if you continue to defy God? Those who survive judgment should see it as a God-given opportunity to get right with God, not to continue to defy him. If as a nation we get to the other side of this pandemic and all we can say is, look, we can beat it together and keep on living our godless lives, we should expect more judgment. And it would be a tragedy for you individually if you do not see surviving this as an opportunity to turn back from sin and worldliness to trust and follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Let's say someone emerges from this pandemic or even a COVID infection, economically, emotionally and physically intact. Now, should they say, 
Oh, life's mine now and I'm going to keep on doing just what I want, living to please myself, pursuing my ambitions. No, they should say, I've seen that I'm not in control. Loss and death are never far away. I should heed the warning and get right with the almighty God who kills and makes alive, who wounds and who heals while I can. And I can. For the word he speaks of mercy and eternal life through his son Jesus is true. The survivors in Judah were wrong. They were wrong in thinking they could secure for themselves what was only God's to give, keep living as if God had not spoken, not pronounced his judgment on their godlessness. But the exiles in Babylon also model a false response to the demonstration of the truth of God's word. They show respect now without change. Turn the watchman into an entertainer. <laughs> oh, verse when they come to you, as people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear what you say, but they will not do it, for with lustful talk in their mouths they act, their heart is set on their gain. You are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear what you say, but they will not do it. Ezekiel is now in fashion. They come and sit, sit as my people. They hear, they're respectful, attentive, but verses 31 and 32, they are unchanged. They will not do. Now, why won't they do? Why won't they respond to God's word by putting it into practice? Well, they love their sensuality, their lustful talk, and their greed. And remember, it was economic sins Ezekiel used to give examples of the wickedness from which people should repent. You see, theirs is the response of the disoriented. Having lost everything, they're determined now to live for themselves, to make the best of things for themselves. All there is is to live for now, live for good experiences, find a new security in this new society in money. Oh, Ezekiel has a place in this new life because he's quite a show. Yeah, quite a show for now to be appreciated for his delivery or style or wit or, let's face it, his wackiness. And then, of course, just be forgotten, having no impact on how they live. You read, they will not do it, and think, how can there be hope for this people? They have a clear and purposeful word from God. They have a word that offers life to the repentant. They have a word that's been proved true from a prophet who every time he opens his mouth is a sign of the truthfulness of God, of the trustworthiness of his word, but they won't change. They won't turn from the sins they love. How can there ever be any hope for this people, the descendants of Abraham, to whom God made those promises. Yet there is hope, a clear hope that Ezekiel will give and we'll start to look at next week in chapters 34 to 48. The insight into the exiles and their attitude here tells us that this hope will be found in the Lord, not the exiles. 
They won't be given the promises that follow, promises of new life for the nation because they're a repentant people, as if their repentance has somehow earned a change of heart in God. The great promises, the wonderful hope God gives to his people in the chapters that follow come from God. So this is a gracious hope, one that comes because of who the Lord is. He is a God of steadfast love and mercy, righteous and faithful to his covenant and promises. He's zealous for his glory that he be known as he is by all the nations. You see, verses 30 to 33 tell us if there is to be hope for Israel, it will be hope from the Lord, hope in the Lord, given in his grace and faithfulness, not because of any deserving on their part. And actually, that's true for us. One of the things we must know as our world is shaken is that if there is to be hope for us, it must be in the Lord, in his graciousness and faithfulness. Who knows what things will look like for us individually and collectively on the other side of this pandemic? There may be a recovery of prosperity and freedom, or there might be further blows as God seeks to humble our proud nation and turn our hearts to his son. Whatever Believers can hope in the Lord because he is who he is. He will be faithful to his promises, promises to keep us, to deal with us in grace for the Lord Jesus' sake. Our promises that the Lord Jesus will be our faithful shepherd always. And this hope doesn't depend on how satisfied or dissatisfied we are with our behaviour through this time. You know, the lockdown may have exposed frailties and sin in our lives as well as unexpected resilience and faithfulness. And if our confidence was in our sense of our own goodness or our own competence that God will be favourable to us because we're a good people or an effective people, that God's sticking with us is because we've been sticking with him, well, our confidence may well be shaken. We need to know hope for this life and the next is found not in our faithfulness but in the Lord himself, in the Lord being true to himself, faithful to his word, always gracious and compassionate, the saviour of the world in his son. So if you've taken to lying awake, wondering what will become of you and your children and your grandchildren, in Jesus you can have hope in the Lord. So in those hours, think on him who has mercy on all who turn to him. But another thing we learn, need to learn from Ezekiel in his dealings with the exiles is the stubbornness of unbelief. Weren't you amazed that they could keep on treating this watchman with his life and death message, his proven truthfulness, treating him as a source of entertainment? that they so loved their sensual pleasure and their money and freedom to get money however they chose that they would refuse to act and turn back to God and save their lives. Weren't you amazed? But this is actually what happened when Jesus came and he was a better teacher and preacher than Ezekiel. 
And his words were accompanied by many mighty works. Yet the gospel says people love darkness rather than light and wouldn't turn and believe in him. Why? Because it says there they loved their sins more. They didn't want to come to the light lest their works, their sin, be exposed. In fact, Paul says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. It's a reminder, isn't it, that people are blind and deaf and dead. And we see that we're speaking to them, hopefully, of sin and judgment, of forgiveness and life through Jesus' death and resurrection. We share the gospel work God has vindicated in the resurrection of Jesus and continues to do so in the giving of his spirit. And there are so many testimonies of people finding life and hope in Jesus, your own included, and yet they will not believe. What can we do? Now, this is probably an old person's illustration, but those of you who watch Gardening of Australia would have seen uh, Costa the host introducing Tino's segment last Friday night by saying, soil, 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 because that's the foundation of everything in the garden. What can we do? We can pray, 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 pray and pray. Pray like Paul who when confronted with the unbelief of his kinsmen said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Wouldn't it be an indictment upon us if we are not asking the Lord to, uh, to do what only he can do, give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf and life to the dead. And finally, we must take the warning of 30 to 33 to ourselves. We mustn't turn listening to the word of God into entertainment. Now, those of us who come and listen week by week, we can do that, can't we? We can become connoisseurs, sit there keeping score, counting and savouring the stories and the illustrations or thumbing through thick Bibles to criticise the exegesis, but not doing what the word says. But our Lord warns us that a sure foundation in the moment of testing, of trial, whether that is a pandemic or a financial crisis or a war or our death, is only known by those who listen and do. He makes that point, doesn't he? In the story of the two builders, the wise are those who listen to what Jesus says, hear these words of mine and do them. It's only as we listen and act that we benefit from the gospel warnings, experience the mercy God offers to those who repent and believe, know the sure truth of God's word and come to have an unshakable foundation and a sure hope which no storm will destroy. You see, it is a wonderful and perilous thing to be in a Bible teaching church. I hope you know that it's wonderful because we can hear the truth on which we can base our lives in all the circumstances of life we can hear it and know it and believe it yet perilous because it's easy to become like Ezekiel's hearers and so no week by week you are being tested 
and the responsibility for hearing and doing, for being wise and not foolish, is yours. So today will you hear and act on what God says. His warnings are true. Turn away from sin. His promise of mercy is sure. Turn to him. So that when all you have taken for granted is removed, when the foundations are shaken, you can actually believe his word. And believing, have hope in God himself. Be people who can pray for the life, the eternal life of those around you. And yes, be people who have a sure and unchangeable, unshakable foundation because you are people who do all that God's Son, the Lord Jesus, teaches us to do. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Help us not to be like the people left in Israel who just went on as if you were not there. Or the exiles who heard were entertained but never put it into practice. Help us to know what we need to know to have a sure and unshakable foundation. To be those who hear your warning and heed it. Who hear your promise and believe it, who give themselves to the teaching of the Lord Jesus and put it into practice. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.